0: So turn with me, uh, excuse me for that preamble, uh, but it's important to say those things sometimes, isn't it, as a family together. Turn with me to Galatians. If you are with us for the first time this morning, we've been working through um, the Paul's amazing letter to the church in Galatia, uh, what we now call uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, and uh, we're just continuing verse by verse. Really appreciated the, uh, the teaching of the team so far uh, through this passage. That Danny's message from last Sunday has been living with me. It's great to pray some of that through at the prayer meeting Uh, Last week, Ken will be picking up, I think, from these verses next week. Um, But uh, today we pick up at at, uh, probably verse 6 or 7 from Galatians uh, 3. I think what I'll do is just read from the start of Galatians 3, albeit Danny preached from there last week. But uh, what we find is that Paul's in the middle of a flow of his argument, and it probably just helps to pick it up from the start. Uh, So top of chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We're going to look at um, two ways of approaching God this morning. The way of faith, uh, as opposed to the old way of the law. We'll probably touch on the ideas of redemption. In fact, we've sung some of those themes in our songs this morning. Uh, And perhaps finish with looking at some ideas of blessings and and curses. So we're in for an action-packed half hour or so before we pray and worship together and then go and eat Stuart and Clara's cakes, uh, which would be a great way to finish. Um, Paul's been teaching them the gospel of grace There's a pressure on these new believers and these new churches to return to or to come under. They're not Jewish believers. Uh, These are uh, Greek-speaking from away from the Jewish world. Uh, But some Judaizers have come in amongst them and are trying to bring them back under some of the Jewish law. Yeah, you're following Christ now, but but you just need some of our ways and customs uh, if your faith is really going to be complete. And so today we find uh, this Abraham story that Paul uses uh, to help them. Uh, to realize, as he 's been doing week after week, in terms of our study of this letter, to recognize the folly of adding anything extra to the gospel of grace. Uh, you may notice, as we 've read through it, uh, first the Abraham story, and then four references to the Old Testament, four "It is writtens," uh, where Paul quotes the Old Testament. Just as an aside, I think it 's really helpful for us um, uh, as, as disciples of Jesus, that we keep on learning how to read the whole Bible. Um, it's, a good, it's good when Paul uh, preaches in a passage like this. We, we can learn to use the Old Testament as he used the Old Testament, as Jesus did, as the other apostles did, to see the big story of God's dealings with his people um, and uh, to see where we fit into God's plan. Um, I guess also for the Galatians, it was the Old Testament Uh, the story of God's dealings with his people before Jesus came on the scene. It was the Old Testament stuff that these Judaizers, these legalists, they were using some proof texts to try and batter the new believers. So it's from the Old Testament scriptures that, that Paul totally undoes their arguments. We would say, to use an English phrase, to pull the rug from under them. I hope that doesn't confuse you if English isn't your first language. So for us, understanding how we read the Old Testament in the light of the Gospel is always going to be helpful if we're going to stay on track as disciples, Indeed, so many errors uh, in churches and church groups come uh, where believers don't fully understand how to, how to, how to, how to view the Old Testament through the, the lens of the gospel and the finished work of, of Jesus. For us to realise that what we're walking in now began way back before Jesus, in this revelation of God in the past, right back in the beginning in Genesis, to recognise these Old Testament stories... They're not just giving us nice lessons or teaching points or really exciting stories to read to your kids before bedtime and keep them awake, some of them. Um, But they point towards the fulfilment of everything in Jesus Christ and his finished work. I hope we see some of that today. Uh, verse 6, i just touch on that, although I think Danny finished there last week um, of Galatians 3. Paul is uh, he's just finishing his argument. He's really been laying into them. Uh, and I think like a good preacher, he just gets himself hopelessly distracted. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? I think the old translations say, because, um, because faith came by, by hearing. Uh, and uh, the, the moment that Paul uh, just mentions faith, it often happens as a, as a, as a preacher. You mention a word and, and, and you're off on a little journey of adventure because this word has triggered some ideas. Ken's smiling, he knows he's been there many a time. Sometimes you allow yourself to run with it. Other times you rein yourself back in and have this kind of internal conversation. Don't go there, don't go there. Stay in the text. Um, and Paul doesn't. He, he doesn't stay with the text. He, he goes there. He talks about faith. He's been saying, you began in the spirit, don't return to the law. But hearing by faith, immediately he's distracted. Uh, If if you come through a Jewish background and someone mentions the word faith, if you're a good Jew, immediately the first place you'll go is to think about Abraham. He's the hero of faith as far as they would be concerned. Back in Genesis, the first uh, book that tells us about God's story with his, his people, the creation account onwards from there, in Genesis 15, we find Abraham having an amazing promise from, from God. In fact, it began before then. Genesis 12, Abraham, as he's called at that point, is called out of his father's house. His father was a pagan, um, and uh, we, we don't know, probably worshipped in an animistic way. Uh, and Abraham is called out by God of his father's house. And call in to some great and amazing promises, which we are now numbered in this morning. In Genesis 15, um, God says to Abraham, Hey, go outside, have a little look at the stars in the sky. And he, God says, count the stars if you can, so will your children be. Remember, this is a man, Abraham, if you don't know the story, who had been unable to have children. And God says, look at the stars, this is the number of children you'll have. Genesis 15, 6, here are some words of faith. Abraham believed the Lord. Wow! So here's a here's a, a childless man, getting on in years now, looking at the stars in the sky. This thought comes into his head through the voice of God: "You're going to have this many children." Uh, and Abraham believed God. He believed the Lord. He his belief there had no basis in any evidence or fact. Um, he had no hope uh, naturally in himself, outside of simply accepting by faith that it's God speaking, and what God says God will bring to pass. Um, what Brian shared on his bit of paper this morning is, is, was great. It's impossible without God. That was the moment Abraham stood in as he looked up at the stars in the sky. He gets a choice in that moment. Do I just dismiss that as the cheese I ate for supper? that I'm now thinking and imagining that, uh, that maybe these stars are, are speaking to me about my offspring, or am I really believing I've heard the voice of God and received a promise from him? Abraham believed God, uh, and it says this act of faith was credited to him as righteousness. It sounds a bit technical, but basically God says, into your account, into your bank account, because you believe me, I consider you to be right with me, because you have believed my promises uh, in the face of no evidence other than having heard my voice. Abraham entered into his blessing with God by realising I can do nothing myself, I can't bring this about myself. He confessed that to God, he threw himself into God, he was counting on God to do what he could not do himself through his own efforts or resources. That friends is faith. It's exactly how we've come in. It's exactly how the Galatian church that Paul's writing to came in on the gospel of grace. We recognise we can't get to God on our own. We confess that to God. We throw ourselves into his mercy. We count on God to do what we cannot do through our own efforts or merits. And that is sending the perfect one, Jesus, to bear our sins on the cross for him. Out of his resources, not out of our own, we are brought into this promise. And so this... Faith that is the start of the Gospel of grace for us and for the Galatians, actually started in Abraham. We're going back to the, the first Father who believed as it were. I, I think uh, maybe Ken will get there next week if I hurry up. Um, but uh, I think 3, yeah, verse 29 says that all who belong to Jesus are rightly called Abraham's children. And so yeah, Abraham could look at the stars in the sky, but we could look around here this morning and say, "Wow, in part, we here this morning from every tribe and tongue. Are a part fulfillment of Abraham's of God's promise to, to Abraham, children of faith in Christ. Um, Abraham's believing of God, Paul says, was all of faith. It wasn't wasn't any uh, response to the law. Um, there was no law revealed at that point. Moses hadn't yet come. In fact, Moses was one of the offspring of faith that would come from from uh, uh, from Abraham. It was all of faith. I love the way the writers of the Hebrews, excuse me, <coughs> the writers of the Hebrews puts it in. Hebrews 11, who he also gets distracted by Abraham uh, and then has to condense his, uh, <laughs> his dialogue later on. Uh, by faith, Abraham, verse 8 of Hebrews 11, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him, of the same promise. They were his son and grandson. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him, God, him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. What an incredible promise. Uh, In Romans 4, Paul's been using the same kind of arguments and he speaks similarly about Abraham and his faith. Romans 4, 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Against all hope. There's some things in your life this morning that you think are hopeless if you face the facts. If you weighed it all up, the kind of pro column and the con column. You'd be saying, all hope is against me here in my situation. Well, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So it's not just positive thinking. His only basis for believing was because God had spoken. Friends, if God's spoken into your life, then against all hope, in hope, you can believe in God. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. There's something at stake For us, I'm going off the text now. There's something at stake when when we're called to believe the the promise of of God. For Abraham, there was a promise at stake that he would father a multitude that would be spiritual children. uh, And those that follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If Abraham had not believed, God would not have worked out his promise through Abraham. He would have done it in some other way, I'm sure. But because Abraham believed God, so he became the father of many nations. Beloved, there are promises that God is leaning forward and eager to work out in your life and mine. He's just waiting for us to believe him on the things that he's said. Can I hear an amen, please, to that uh, promise? Um, It was said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And so without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. Can I hear you say fully persuaded, please? Well done, now say it as though you're fully persuaded. Thank you, that's much better. (laughs) Being fully persuaded, I've lost my place. That God had power to do what he had promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. These are wonderful truths, aren't they? Abraham's a great example for the Galatians to hear about. As we said, they're being instructed to add some Jewish law to their gospel of grace, to, to, to mix it up. Um, Paul's already said it's not because of your own experience, your own merit that you've received this gospel. Um, their, their own experience thus far should teach them that they don't need to add anything. Salvation's not by the law, it's by grace alone. But these Judaizers are trying to pull them back to all the add-ons. Well, Paul's undermining that argument completely here by showing them that Abraham himself and Abraham's story of faith just points us so directly at the idea of grace alone. It's through genuine faith. It's not through any law, any effort, that you and I, and you Galatians, Paul says, are counted righteous. So Abraham had a promise from God that he believed on the basis of faith alone, and uh, because he believed God on that basis, God regarded him as righteous, because we believe God on the basis that he sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross to forgive our sins to put us in Christ. God therefore counts us righteous. Uh, verse 7, Paul goes on to say, uh, where am I? I'm in Romans, that's why it doesn't look right to me. Uh, let me get back to, um, to Galatians. We got carried away in Romans. Uh, verse 7 of Galatians 3, uh, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Consider Abraham, verse 6. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that those who believe are children of Abraham. You've come to faith in Jesus, Galatians. You've come to faith in Jesus, disciples in Crawley. You are the true heirs of Abraham. You're in the true line of the guy who looked at the stars in the desert somewhere uh, thousands of years ago. You're inheriting the true promises that he looked towards and hoped in. Um, You're playing, uh, you're walking now in the, in the line of the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus, one of the descendants of Abraham. Paul's saying, if you, if you have this faith in Jesus, Galatian church, if you've begun with this faith in Jesus alone, don't turn back to the old Jewish ways. Don't turn back to Abraham, the kind of hero of the Judaizers. If you, if you turn back to Abraham, now Abraham, Abraham would say, don't look at me, I'm looking at Jesus. Um, if, if you want to be true sons and daughters of Abraham, this is how you're to think. I'm in Christ now, completely. I'm not in the law. Um, I love verse 8 and 9. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Um, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and would uh, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham The man of faith. We could spend all morning unpacking that. It can sound quite a complicated sentence. The scripture foreseeing the scriptures, preaching the gospel in advance to Abraham. Teaching Abraham uh, about a a Messiah who would come out of his line, who wasn't yet there. Uh, It it, could mess with your head. I think what it teaches us is that the sovereignty of God is utterly breathtaking. God knew, even as he was calling out Abraham... That one day his plan was to reach people all over planet earth. That had been his plan from the beginning. Even when he said to Adam and Eve, multiply and fill the earth. God knew he was going to reach those who would be Jews and those who would be Gentiles. The argument here in in Galatians. God knew that when he made a promise to Abraham that he'd be the father of all nations in Christ. God knew that this fathering of multitudes of children would be a spiritual thing, not a natural thing. um, Through faith. In the same way that Abraham believed, so we will come to faith in Jesus too. The Scriptures foresaw, it's just another way of, of saying God spoke through the Scriptures. Um, the, this Word of God is God's Word. We call it the Word, the living Word. It's sometimes uh, the, the, the Word gets personified. It's like it takes on a character and a life all of its own. Um, when Ken and I preached through the Reformation series in October uh, time last, last year, we um, did a session on, on, uh, on Scripture alone. This is the living Word of God. His words are true. They speak today. They've spoken into every generation. They spoke to Abraham even before they were written down in this format. They speak to us. So we can say um, that the Scripture speaks to us in the same way that we're saying it's God speaking to us. That's all it means here when it says the Scriptures foresaw, the Scriptures spoke, the Scriptures looked forward to. This living word in the story of Abraham can be said to be preaching the gospel, which the Scriptures will one day make plain and clear through the finished work of Jesus, who was a descendant of Abraham. Oh, Anyway, let's move on before we uh, tie our heads up in, in knots. What we can say is this, God is reaching the world through faith in Jesus. God reached Abraham in that way, even though Abraham would never have fully understood the fullness of the gospel that we have now. So any who come today are Abraham's spiritual children. Children of faith, children of the great man of faith. There's no law that's played any part in you or I coming to faith, just as no law played any part in Abraham coming to faith. There's no Jewish custom that's been added to our faith that makes us right with God, just as there was no Jewish custom added to Abraham's faith. This is such a powerful argument for Paul. As we've said, the Judaizers would use the Old Testament scriptures to try and make their points. He completely undermines them. We find Jesus as well sometimes with the legalists that that love to cite Abraham or Moses. They say, oh, he's ours, he's not really yours. Um, But uh, Paul says, hey, for for you non-Jewish believers, Abraham is yours. That would really upset the, the Judaizers. He's your hero of faith. He's not their hero after all. He's a hero of faith. He's a hero of the gospel of grace. The Judaizers can't claim Abraham for their arguments. Um, He got his righteousness the same way that we did, through faith in the gospel of Jesus. Let me just read through verse 10 to 15, and then we'll draw some conclusions. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary... The man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promises of the Spirit. So here we're into the section with the Old Testament quotes. Paul just takes some logical steps on from where he's already been teaching. Those who've been made righteous by Christ are living completely by faith. They're not under the law. Um, a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 2. Uh, in fact, we sang the scripture to try and help memorize it. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Paul's been saying here. He said in chapter 2, don't go back. Don't rebuild the old house of religion that we've knocked down. You don't need those foundations in your life anymore. We're building on new foundations of the gospel of grace. He says here in verse 10, "You, can't, you, you don't, don't rely on the law. If you rely on observing the law, you're under a curse. To rely on the law for your salvation, to depend upon it, to depend on the law for getting right with God and keeping right with God is a very difficult place to be. It's the very opposite of the way of faith and righteousness we've just been hearing about in the Abraham story. In fact, in this passage, Paul contrasts Abraham as the man of faith um, with those who rely on works of the law. Are you going to rely on faith or are you going to rely on the works of the law? The, the man of faith, verse 9, tells us it leads us to blessing. Um, dependence on the law, verse 10, tells us it leads us into curse. Blessing or curse, you get to decide. You're, you're doomed to disappointments um, and ultimately to destruction if you choose to rely on, to look for your security in the law. Um, in fact, not only is it unnecessary to come back under the law, Paul says it's harmful you will come under a curse. So he quotes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of the amazing books of the law in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 27:26, if you're taking notes, is the quote from the law here in verse 10. It basically, saying if you're going to live under the law, you better live perfectly under the law. You better tick every single box. Otherwise, there are going to be some penalties. There's no no point having one box where you think, I'm not sure, maybe, perhaps, with regard to the law. you better tick them all as no, 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 or yes, 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 if they require a positive answer. Otherwise, you're going to come under the curse that the law brings us into. There are penalties. In the Old Testament, the the idea of curse began right at the beginning. This idea of a, a judgment of a right and holy God against sin and disobedience. In Genesis 3, we... We we call it the fall where where Adam and Eve had had rebelled against God. Uh, They were put outside of God's presence. They were shut out of the Garden of Eden where they'd been in perfect relationship with him. It was a a huge change in their relationship with God uh, who they'd been so intimate with and actually in their relationship with one another as husband and wife and in their relationship with the land, with with creation. Everything changed because of of sin and rebellion. There's a, a curse put on them. We find ourselves, if we uh, believe the flow of the Scriptures and the way that Paul writes, that we who are in Adam are under the same curse outside of Christ. We are only put right again by coming into Christ Jesus. We'll be made fully right when Jesus returns and restores all things. Um, We'll finish in in a minute or two with some prayer into the kinds of curses that Jesus breaks through the Gospel. What Paul's saying here in verse 10 is that the law is not effective in calling us out from um, the curse of separation from God, out from under God's judgment. The law is really good. We've said that through the weeks. The law points us to God's perfection, but the law doesn't doesn't lift a finger to help us. The the law will point out all our flaws and our imperfections before God, but it will disappoint us. So if you or I have any kind of form of religion in our lives that relies on us um, uh, working hard, self-efforts, Um, then we remain like Adam and Eve, aware of our sin, but unable to get back near to God in a restored relationship. It's a terrible place to find ourselves in. If some of you are finding yourselves that way today, we'll pray in a few moments. Verse 11, Paul goes on, we'll just move through his argument before we, we pray. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. There's his second Old Testament quote, one of the prophets Quite hard to find in the the old paper Bibles, uh, Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. No one is justified, no one's made right with God by observing the law. In the light of all that Paul's been saying, it would be a nonsense if he concluded anything else at this point. He says it's utterly impossible. Those who've been declared righteous by God don't need to live that way under the law. You don't need to try any harder. It's been done already, as we said in chapter 2. We live by faith in the Son of God. Of God, We are like Abraham, our righteous father, who uh, walked into these promises through faith. The law cannot justify us. The law cannot make us right with God. The law can't deal with our sin. That requires faith in Jesus. The righteous live by faith entirely and completely. Verse 12. Um, there we go. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. There's our third quote. Like oil and water, you, you, and I hope we're getting the message by now, you can't mix law and faith. The one who does the law lives by the law. The law's just down to doing the law, and as we've said, doing it all, perfectly, all the time. It doesn't require any faith to do that. It just requires perfect obedience. Um, the problem is that level of perfect obedience is not within our grasp as imperfect, sinful, sinful, fallen human beings. There's, there's only one who has been able to perfectly be obedient to the law and fulfilled it. And that one is Jesus Christ. And we've agreed when we we're back in verse uh, chapter 2 and verse 20, we've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live now. Christ lives in us. We now live his life with regard to the law. He has perfectly fulfilled the law. We don't need to try any longer. And so Paul goes on in verse 13. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Our faith isn't in the law. It's not in our ability to be obedient to the law. If it was, it would produce a horrible, kind of warped self righteousness in us. Our faith is in Jesus, in his work on the cross. Our righteousness comes alone from him as a gift. Again, at the end of chapter 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This means I'm not under the curse of the law as I would be if I tried to live life and get right with God through self-righteousness. As we've said, Jesus in his perfection has died on the cross. So here in this verse, hidden away in this quite technical passage, we find this incredible uh, picture of redemption. Um, it's, it's beautiful imagery of a, of a ransom. Again, I think we've sung with, with the ransomed in glory, his face at last shall see. This idea of ransom, it sounds like quite old-fashioned language. It's actually very current, has always been. Um, These days, if you're a wealthy businessman and you work in certain parts of the world, um, or if you go on a cruise past the Somalian coastline, you will be required to have some pretty hefty insurance that will cover you for kidnap. Um, And the wealthier you are, the higher your insurance premiums will be in certain parts of the world, um, so that you, you will have a worth or a value. Uh, if you get kidnapped by Somalian pirates, there will be a level up to which your insurers will pay, after which they'll say it's not worth it. Uh, depends how, how good your premiums are um, and uh, whether you compared the meerkats or not, I guess. Um, and, and, and that ransom price will, will make the rescue for you. The money will be paid. You will be exchanged for the money. It, it's just how it is, but even more glorious uh, in the idea of re- redemption and ransom in the New Testament. 1 Peter Uh, Peter's little uh, letter to the churches puts it this way. Uh, 1 Peter 1, I think, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. It wasn't about money or insurance. From the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus, the perfect lamb, Remember, if you're trying to live under the law, then to bring a perfect lamb was one of the sacrifices that you would pay for. uh, And the the lamb would be killed in your place to try and bring you into a right relationship with God through the law. So when we're told about our ransom or being redeemed and Jesus being the lamb whose blood was spilled for us, we get this, this wonderful idea, this imagery, that he is the offering price. It's greater than silver or gold. This is the precious Blood of Jesus. I love the old songs we sing about the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus is payment, his blood spilled, has brought us out from under the curse of the law. The price has been paid. The exchange has happened. We've been led out into safety and rescue. Our failure to keep the law no longer has any consequences whatsoever. We are rescued from the curse by this life-giving purchase. Jesus the Lamb has given himself up for us. Next time we take communion and you, you drink the wine that represents the blood of Jesus, maybe remember some of this ransom imagery. Even more than this, it's not just that we've been rescued. Jesus died for us. It says he became a curse for us here in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 5:21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we m- might become the righteousness of God. This is really beautiful. It's what C.S. Lewis would, would say about Narnia. It's deep magic. Um, not only that Jesus should remove the curse from us. I mean, that is just incredible. He should take our, our indelibly marked clothes that say, you are separate from God because you're a fallen sinner. Not, it's amazing that he should take those off us and bring us into a place of rescue. But that he should then carry the curse for us, that he should become the curse for me when he died on the cross. Again, the next quote uh, in, in that verse, Deuteronomy 21:23, that uh, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, it means that Jesus, in his public death, showed outwardly that he's broken the law of God. Jesus didn't break the law of God. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He was constantly, every moment of every day, obedient to his Father. But he died as one who was a lawbreaker under the curse of God, under the wrath of God. He bore my shame. That the father would turn his face away from his perfect son because of my curse that was put upon Jesus. That the enemy should apparently be victorious in that moment. That, that the charges that should have stuck to me were now stuck upon him. That he would, was now indelibly marked In his perfection, now with my imperfection. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the fullness of the gospel. Not just that we're brought out of shame and and sin and a curse, but that my shame and sin and curse are going on to Jesus and his righteousness comes on to me. Hallelujah. Uh, if, If you're still one of those disciples of Jesus that struggles under guilt and shame and condemnation or giving yourself to habitual sin all the time, I wonder, have we really understood fully the gospel? We can come to Jesus today. He's brought us out. He's ransomed us. He's brought us right out. He's transferred all our guilt and shame uh, which keeps us from God, keeps us separated like the curse did in the beginning. Um, There's no merit in trying to go back to the law, trying to keep God happy through our own works. We come to Jesus, the curse breaker. We look to his finished work on the cross. We have faith in him alone. And then verse 14, he completes his argument with a positive. We won't stay there. He speaks of the blessing of the spirit that's to come. And indeed, as we move later on in the letter, we find so much richness on the spirit of sonship, what it means to be heirs of the promise and coming into the blessing. It's it's through faith, through the gospel of grace, that we begin to bear fruit for God. So we've seen this morning, and we'll just pray for a few minutes now. Uh, Joe, maybe you're able to just come back and help us. Thank you. There have been two ways to approach God. One is incomplete, one keeps us in bondage, or leads us back into bondage, keeps us in shame and separation from God, under his judgment, that's the way of the law. The other will bring us into life and blessing. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, and all the consequences of separation. This passage is so clear about that, and yet if we're being honest, you and I at times are aware of symptoms in our lives that still seem seem to show that we are still under some kind of curse of self-effort or trying to keep right or please God in other ways. If we're honest, we just feel like that sometimes, don't we? The curse keeps us in shame. It means we're unable to feel like we can come fully to God, come fully into the blessing and the intimacy and the security and the, the joy of his presence. Do you know, even before God um, spoke a judgment over Adam and Eve and over the serpent in the Garden of Eden, even before God, God confronted Adam and spoke into his life, Adam and Eve were already hiding. They are already aware, hey, something's not right in my life anymore. I, I, I don't go near God. So God calls out, Adam, where are you? Uh, Adam, God knew where Adam was, of, of course. Uh, but it's just a sign that when we, when, when we, when we uh, come under the curse of God, we're broken away from relationship with him. We were once so intimate as Adam was, now hiding, now ashamed, aware of his nakedness, aware of his guilt, Aware of his distance from God. Aware that there's never going to be any joy in my relationship with the God that I used to walk with in the cool of the garden in the evening every day. God hasn't put Adam out of the garden at that point, And Adam has already come under the, the curse because of what he's done. And some of us here that just carry so much guilt around in our lives and feel I'll never get right with God. Um, God's not said that over you. He's made a way for you to get right with him. But um, he's, he's made a, a new judgment over you that in Christ you're welcomed, in Christ you're accepted. You can live now in the Son of God. (laughs) But we hide ourselves away like Adam did. There'll be people that aren't here this morning because they're hiding away under guilt. There'll be some who are here but are not expecting to meet with God because they're under the curse of shame and guilt. Maybe there are some specific curses, some specific areas of sin that you've allowed the enemy to keep you in shame, away from God. Maybe there's some stuff you've given yourself to in secret. Men and women sitting here this morning, sexual sin, maybe habitual lying, maybe addictions in your life, maybe you're under deep fear, the enemy keeps you separate from God. Maybe for some this curse of separation is about ungodly agreements that you've made. Oh, have you said these things in your head? God could never accept me because of, you can fill in the blank yourself, God would never forgive me for this. I could never be fruitful for God because I've just got to try harder, work harder, do better. Friends, that's the curse of religion. You can come out from under that this morning. Jesus, the curse breaker, has brought us out from that that captivity. It's futile. Maybe there have been some curses spoken over you kids, teenagers, adults. Uh, There were things spoken over my life as a young boy by a headmaster. You will never amount to anything. You're going to spend your life in prison. You will always be this. You'll always be that. You'll never be this. Maybe there are some words that have defined you. Maybe you've been abandoned. Maybe you've been abused. These things have kept you out of the promise of God. Friends, let me tell you, they are lies this morning in the light of this scripture. It's not how God speaks over you. He doesn't speak with that voice of condemnation through Jesus. He says, welcome and come. Maybe there are curses over you that produce sickness and weakness. I do believe some of the bone problems and arthritic stuff and migraines we struggle with can sometimes be rooted in fear and shame. And condemnation, it's all part of the curse we don't have to live under any longer now that we've been redeemed and bought out by Jesus Christ. Amen. Stuff we've received and believed in our lives. Some of you will have been attacked through um, occult stuff, witchcraft things. Some of you in your family line or the culture you've come from will be aware of curses. It's just how it is in my family. Right, everyone gets cancer in their 50s. Those, have you spoken those kinds of things? Sometimes there are repeated sicknesses or accidents that happen in your family that just seem much more than would be normal, Uh, more than just normal circumstances. Jesus has come to redeem us from that curse. Can we stand together? I could keep talking, but we do want to pray. If you're responding to any of those things this morning, just put your hand in the air. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just, Just keep your hands up before the Lord. Lord, we repent of our sin. It's always our first way. Back to you. We're so sorry for our sin. We turn to you now. Lord, we reject every demonic plan, every deception that has attached curses to our minds, our bodies, our emotions. Lord, we love this truth in verse 14 that we've read today. You have redeemed me in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to me through Jesus Christ. Wow. Let's just say that together. You have redeemed me in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to me through Jesus Christ. So that by faith, I might receive the promise of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your redemption. We thank you have broken every curse. We, we rebuke every authority the enemy has to keep us in bondage of shame and condemnation. Lord, we believe, like Abraham did, that truth of redemption. Lord, that that blessing that came to him might come to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, your work is so complete. As we worship you now, as we pray together, would you just come and liberate our hearts, our minds? Would you bring physical healing? Would you break off arthritis and migraines and habitual sicknesses? Would you totally change every addictive uh, temptation behavior in our lives that has held us in bondage and under a curse? and kept us separate from you. Would you bring each one of us into a place of happy intimacy and joy in friendship with our Heavenly Father, because the Righteous One, Jesus Christ, has opened up the way. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful to you. We thank you that we live by faith in the Son of God. Would you help us right through now into the fullness of these promises? We agree together in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.